Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If you ask people, who is the greatest teacher who ever lived? The greatest teacher of all time. I bet many of your friends, even those who wouldn't call themselves Christians, I bet many people would instinctively say, Jesus. Jesus is probably the greatest, if not one of the greatest teachers of all time. He was certainly an excellent and world-changing teacher. And that is true. We Christians certainly believe that Jesus is the greatest teacher of all time. But what's interesting about Jesus' teaching is how he teaches and the subject matter of his teaching. And in Mark chapter 4, we get a glimpse of how Jesus teaches and what he is teaching about. He teaches in parables. We just read a section from Mark chapter 4, but really the whole chapter is a chapter of parables. So in Mark chapter 4, verse 2, he was teaching, Jesus, the many things in parables. And in the middle of the chapters, after one parable, his disciples pull him aside. They want to know, what is this parable about? And so he tells them about the parables. And he tells them about the purpose of the parables. Then he goes on in our gospel lesson today to teach more about the kingdom of God using parables. The conclusion of the chapter with many such parables, he spoke to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. At this phase in Jesus's ministry, he is only speaking in parables. And you can think about the parables like a filter. Not everyone is understanding or getting the deeper meaning. In fact, the parables left many baffled and confused. And even the disciples are pulling Jesus aside saying, help us understand what you mean by teaching us in these parables. And Jesus says, if you have ears to hear, you'll hear. If you have eyes to see, you will see what's happening in these parables. These parables are teaching about the kingdom, teaching about what Jesus has come to do, telling us about the mysteries of the kingdom. In our gospel lesson, we have two of these parables, short parables, parables of the kingdom. And both of them, as the first parable in the chapter, which we didn't read about, both of these parables deal with seeds. This whole chapter, Jesus is using these image, uh, this image of seeds and these agricultural metaphors, sowing and reaping and farming to tell us something important about his kingdom, about the way the gospel is working in the world. Jesus is the greatest teacher. But he uses the simplest language and illustrations available to him at that time. Mundane images of seeds and farmers. It's interesting here that he compares the kingdom of God, something you would think would be grand on a grand scale, to something so simple as seed. Not something like uh, a, a royal palace or a king conquering. No, he compares the kingdom of God here first to a seed. Seeds are everywhere. They're they're ubiquitous and seeds are quite ordinary. What I want us to see this morning is that the mystery of the kingdom, the mystery of the kingdom is found in a story of a seed. The mystery of the kingdom, it's found in a story of a seed. And Jesus gives us two small stories, two small parables here to tell us about the mystery of the kingdom. But before we look at that, let's just ask a question. What is the kingdom of God? Because right off the bat in the gospel of Mark, we see that the gospel, the good news is a good news about a kingdom. Jesus himself 
He begins preaching after he's introduced by John the Baptist. He begins preaching about a kingdom. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. All right, so what is this gospel of God? Gospel meaning good news. What is this good news? Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom is here. And because the kingdom is here, you need to respond to this message of the kingdom. Now, the kingdom of God is here. This is good news. The gospel is the good news of the kingdom of God arriving in the person of Jesus Christ. Christ. This is not Jesus' last name. This is a royal title. It means Messiah. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God. So where is this kingdom? Well, I think one way we can answer this is the kingdom is everywhere. Jesus is. It's wherever his rule and his reign are acknowledged. The kingdom certainly includes Jesus's church. It's present here. But it comes to include all things that he intends and indeed will rule over. We pray at the Eucharist every week. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On the one hand, the kingdom is here and it's present. On the other hand, the kingdom is still coming and it'll one day be fully realized in all places, among all peoples. His kingdom is vast. His kingdom in the end encompasses everything. And it's a good kingdom with a good king of Jesus. There is a widespread uh, belief among the Jews of Jesus's day that Yahweh, the, the Lord God, would finally come and act in history and restore his covenant with his people and establish once and for all his perfect kingdom. And in fact, there were prophecies in places like Zechariah chapter 13 that indicated that when this kingdom finally come, uh, would, uh, comes, it would be Yahweh himself who would reign. And so here in this environment where there was expectation about the coming kingdom, a desire for the coming kingdom, Jesus is saying the kingdom is here. And Jesus is definitely indicating he is the one through whom this kingdom is coming. Now, for many Jews of this day, the fact of this coming kingdom, this promise, this hope for the kingdom, this meant there there would have to be some kind of revolution, a kingdom very much like this world, uh, but just more powerful than the kingdoms of this world. So when Jesus comes announcing the kingdom here and implying that the kingdom is coming through him, you can imagine for many the sort of excitement that that would have evoked. This is the time. This is the time for us to act to bring in, to usher, to help Jesus usher in the kingdom. Jesus, though, he is telling us these parables to tell us about the nature of his kingdom, how it comes, what it is, how his disciples will follow him into this kingdom. It's interesting, Jesus, he doesn't come out and give us a nice little definition of the kingdom, but he gives us parables, these little stories to illustrate it. And he gives us these two seed parables to tell us the story of the kingdom. And these two parables that we're looking at this morning, I think we can look at them through a couple of different angles. First, they're telling us something about the growth of the kingdom, how the kingdom grows. But they're also telling us, especially the second one, about the goal, the goal of the kingdom. As the kingdom matures, the hope of the kingdom. So let's look at the growth of the kingdom in this first parable. It's showing us how the kingdom grows. Jesus's kingdom, it's not static. Jesus' kingdom grows. But how it grows, Jesus wants us to know in this parable, is very important for us to understand. So the sower, the sower cast his seed on the ground. 
Uh, the seed earlier in Mark chapter 4 is the word of God. But now the seed is picturing for us the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And once the farmer sows the seed, he doesn't really do anything else. Uh, he sleeps and he wakes up day after day, kind of goes about his business. He's done his work. He's sowed the seed. And now he's waiting. While he is sleeping, though, something is happening that he can't see. Something is happening that he can't control. And it's happening below the ground. It's happening in the soil. There's a process that begins to unfold. It's an organic process. Seed, seed equals life here. A seeds give life. A seed has within it all that's needed to produce life. So in the parable, the seed begins to grow, but there's a process of growth. First, it, it buds and then it grows bigger. It interacts with the land, with the soil. And it's interesting, it says the land by itself it's, it's the word automatic. The land automatically makes it fruitful. There's a little shoot and then an ear and then finally a stalk. And it reaches a point when it's time for a harvest. Now, this language here of the sickle coming at the harvest is language from the Old Testament. In Joel chapter three, there's the prophet envisions when the day of the Lord finally comes. He'll put a sickle uh, to the grain, the harvest will be ripe. This language is also echoed in Revelation 14 when the earth is harvested for the Lord. So there's this connection, even in these prophecies of the coming kingdom, heading for a harvest. But while the growth is happening under the earth, notice here it says the farmer knows not how. He doesn't know how all of this is working. He knows that it is, presumably, but he doesn't know how it's working. It's growing, even apart from his knowledge of how the process works. Even though he may not be able to explain perfectly the botanical process, he has faith that it will do its thing and it will grow. Recently, Marianne and I, we had our first attempt at planting a small garden, and we were very modest in our expectations. We have friends, some of you who have these very elaborate, wonderful, beautiful gardens. And um, we were, our hope was to start very small this year. Uh, and we felt like we did things the way that we were supposed to do. We prepared the soil, we tilled it, we pulled rocks out of it, we um, put down some fertilizer, and it was time to plant. And I remember looking at this packet of these just small, tiny seeds and putting them in the little furrows that we made. And um, just a, you know, several weeks ago, I remember being very skeptical. <laughs> like, there's no way this is going to work. Um, how, how does this even work? I know not how. And especially me doing something like this, it just doesn't seem like it could ever work. And it's just a tiny seed and the soil's not great. And I'm sure we've done some things wrong. And, and look at my neighbor's garden, which is amazing. And there's just, there's just, there's just no way. I was skeptical. Uh, the seed uh, is, is, is just this tiny thing, and I have no green thumb. You know, will this work when I put the seed into the ground? Now, all I can do is just put the seed in the ground and cover it up with some dirt and go on about my business, go to sleep and wake up the next day and day after day. I remember uh, early on, you know, checking the garden, seeing if I would see anything and still being, still being skeptical. I was preparing myself uh, in reality for disappointment. Um, I wasn't going to allow myself to be too upset if it didn't grow because I didn't really trust uh, that it 
that it would. But there were a lot of rocks in the soil, too. That's, that's the other part. I was just like, there's, I kept pulling out rocks after rocks after rocks. Um, and then one day, though, I went out there, and I started to see these small little green shoots. Um, even then, I was skeptical. I was like, that's probably just weeds <laughs> that, have, that have grown up. But then, these little shoots got bigger and bigger. And finally, the arugula starts coming up. You can smell it. Like, oh, that's not a weed. That peppery smell, that is definitely arugula. You see the tomato plant starting to come in their own, the squash, different kinds of lettuce. Now, did all this happen because I'm a master gardener? Absolutely not. It's because the ground and the sea, they did their thing and produced this life. For those few weeks of my skepticism and doubt, a lot was happening that I couldn't see and that I could not explain. But the growing was happening nonetheless, even though I couldn't see it. Jesus is telling his disciples, he's telling us, his followers, just because you can't see the growth of the kingdom, the growth of the kingdom in your own life, the growth of the kingdom around you, doesn't mean it is not happening. And in fact, this is how the kingdom grows. So often it's growing out of sight. It's growing behind the scenes. It's growing off the radar. It's growth underground. The kingdom, Jesus wants his disciples to know. Then at that point, when there were all these hopes about how it might come and how it should come, Jesus wants them to know that the kingdom is growing. Be patient. Jesus wants us to know right now the kingdom is growing. Be patient. Go to bed. Get some rest. Wake up the next day. Be faithful. But trust that that seed is alive. And the seed of the kingdom is doing its work in the world. Very often it's a process that we can't see. Very often it's a process that makes us a bit skeptical, cynical. But we need to trust that there's a lot happening under the ground that we cannot yet see. This, I think, is a call to patient faithfulness. Uh, you can imagine the disciples thinking here. This is early in Jesus' ministry. You can imagine the disciples thinking, all right, Yahweh's kingdom is here. We've read all the prophecies. We know how this is going to go down. This is go time for the kingdom. Let's see it in action. And then Jesus starts to uh, uh, temper their expectations a little bit. It's not going to be quite like that. It's coming all right, and it's going to come in explosive and wonderful ways, but it's not going to come according to your agenda. But you need to be patient. You need to trust that it does indeed come. You, you cannot try to take the bull by the horns when it comes to the kingdom. Don't try to forcibly usher the kingdom with your own agendas, uh, using the weapons and the tactics of this world. There is another way. It's a kingdom, all right, but it comes in a different kind of way. In order for us to be participants in this kingdom, uh, to, to, um, uh, to embrace this kingdom message, we have to hear this call to patient faithfulness. I think one of the best examples of patient faithfulness in scripture is Abraham. Now, God promised, you may know the story, to make Abraham a great nation, the father of many nations. But this promise comes to Abraham in his old age and he has no children. Yet, he was told that through him, through his seed, there would be a great nation. 
He believed the promise anyway. In Hebrews chapter 6, we read, And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. Eventually, the Lord made good on his promise. But it took a while. The word of God seemed hidden to Abraham and to his wife, Sarah, for quite some time. There was moments of doubt, moments of uncertainty. And if you know the story of Abraham, there was a time when Abraham and Sarah both tried to take things into their own hands and rush the promises in. But ultimately, in the end, Abraham believed God and his promise. And the promise came true, even though for year after year, season after season, it seemed that the Lord was not working. And in fact, though, he was. We're tempted, especially when it seems like God has gone quiet on us to redouble our efforts. Again, Abraham, he, he did this. He, um, uh, he, he tried to raise up a seed uh, in, in, in another way. Um, but do we trust that the seed of the kingdom is growing within us, even when we don't feel like we can see the immediate fruit? And I'm not just talking about individually as followers of Christ, but as a church. Do we trust that the kingdom is moving forward? Do we trust that Christ is indeed growing his church, his Catholic church, his global church, but also this parish, Holy Cross? Maybe when we're not you know, feeling it or when we sense, you know, the excitement is just not there. It feels kind of blah. Do we trust in those moments that Jesus is still growing his church? We should be faithful. There is a sense in which we should relax. Go to bed. Wake up the next day. Be faithful to the task God has given you and trust that God is doing his work in his world. Labor in faithfulness. The seeds are living. They're alive. They will grow. They will produce the fruit God has intended them. The giver of growth, though, is the Lord. And his way of growing things often happens outside of the spotlight, below the surface, beyond the radar. And then at once, it's revealed. The kingdom doesn't depend on human effort. Uh, Despite appearances, the kingdom is growing. So that's a bit about the growth of the kingdom, something we see in that first parable. But let's look now at the goal of the kingdom. What is this kingdom aspiring to? And I think we see that in the second parable here that Jesus tells. The kingdom is growing towards an end, towards a goal. There's a seed here, just like the parable we uh, just looked at. Uh, but there's a slight shift in focus. The kingdom of God in this parable isn't just any seed. It's a mustard seed. And for Jesus' purposes in telling this parable, it's the smallest of all seeds. The smallest of all seeds, though, produces uh, the largest of all plants. Verse 32 in Mark 4. Yet when it is grown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nest in its shade. I read a book uh, to my kids this week called The Cactus Hotel. And it tells the story of a single little cactus. It starts off only four inches tall after a couple of years. That's all the growth that's happened in a cactus. And I had to look this up, but apparently this is true, the slow growth of, of cactus. Year after year, it may only grow a few centimeters. After 10 years, several inches. After 70 years, though, six feet. After 100 years, 15 feet. And it could go up to 200 years in some cases. But as it grows, 
as it becomes substantial, uh, substantial, it becomes in the story uh, a hotel, a hotel for all sorts of other life. First, there's a woodpecker who burrows out a little place to sleep, but then he burrows out another little place to sleep, and then an owl comes and lives in that place. And you see these pictures of this cactus over the years with all these little holes in it where different wildlife are finding refuge, they're finding shelter. But it all started with a seed. For years, it was really, really small. And then finally, it's this enormous thing that's giving life and shelter to all sorts of other living creatures. The parable of the mustard seed is showing us the goal, the goal of the kingdom. Yes, it it grows, but it's growing towards something. It's maturing towards something, something great, something that gives shelter, that gives life to others, something that causes others uh, to come in and receive. Uh, You know the old saying, uh, great oaks from little acorns grow. Uh, And it's true. And it's true here for this parable. A mature oak tree started out as an acorn. Jesus and his small band of disciples working on the margins and in in a bit of obscurity uh, at the beginning. Small, small scale stuff. The seed of the kingdom, though, has been sown. And it'll continue to grow uh, towards this goal of giving life to the world, of welcoming the nations. In Jesus's parable here, the mustard seed, as it grows, it, it stands out among the different vegetable plants. It's a plant that blesses other plants. The birds come and they make their nest here. And this isn't just... Uh, an illustration Jesus is pulling at random. This is very clearly echoing what we read in our lesson from Ezekiel, our Old Testament lesson for today. This prophecy of the kingdom of God coming and this, this great tree that where the nations are coming in and finding shelter. And here Jesus is connecting his kingdom with this Old Testament promise that this isn't just about you, disciples. This isn't just about Israel. This is about The world, the kingdom of God coming into the world and providing life to the world. Israel was meant to be a people, a kingdom who brought blessing to the world. That was the promise to Abraham through you. The nations will be blessed. The birds here, uh, they represent the Gentiles. They represent the nations. They will come and find rest and shelter in this growing kingdom as it grows out into the world. Ezekiel, Daniel, uh, these Old Testament prophets who envision the coming into the nations into this growing kingdom. They all use this language of, of the tree and nations coming to it as birds come to branches. Jesus is picking up this language. The kingdom starts off small, but eventually it grows into a worldwide juggernaut. There's a missional goal to the kingdom. It matures. It grows. It grows deep roots. So it can stay steady, but it also grows branches to support others who want to come and find shelter and live in it. It, It's the ultimate cactus hotel. It grows slowly, but deliberately, and it grows fully. Church of the Holy Cross began in 2017 with uh, maybe 13 adults, but with a vision, with a desire for a new church in Crozet, one that would have both roots and branches. Roots, taking seriously the word of God, taking seriously the traditions of the church and putting them in this context 
but also branches, welcoming new people in, being the sort of community where others, you know, who, uh, who are seeking shelter, others who are seeking life, who are seeking purpose, might fly in here and, and land on a branch and then find the sort of life that only the Lord can give through his kingdom. We're, we're a small parish and a small community, but we are a part of this growing and maturing and big kingdom. And we each have a role to play in this. This parable tells us not to despise the day of small beginnings for any purpose in the kingdom of God. All things that grow big start off small. God always starts with something small to bring about his greater plan. This is a consistent theme throughout Scripture. Even Israel, not the greatest of nations in terms of size and might. And the Lord says, that's exactly why I chose you. <laughs> to start with something small in order to accomplish my big purposes. We Americans in our modern consumerist society, uh, where we can get most of what we need and most of what we want, either on demand or within two days. You know, how many of you were frustrated at the beginning of the pandemic when Amazon Prime went from like two days to a week and a half? What is going on here? You know, they need to get it together. Uh, We want things right now. We want it on demand. We want it when we want it, how we want it. Um, And we can so easily become spoiled, lose any sense of patience. And what happens when we have this kind of consumerist on-demand mentality for everything, and we apply that to the kingdom of God, we miss something so fundamental about how the kingdom of God works. We miss something so fundamental about how the Lord works on us. It's just very often through this slow, organic process. This is how the kingdom comes. The kingdom that Christ calls us into and that he is Lord over and building works according to different values and different principles from those of the world around us. And we need to learn more deeply and and embrace more faithfully the values of the kingdom that Jesus teaches us. The mystery of the kingdom, the mystery of this great and glorious kingdom, it's found in the story of the seed. So let's continue to learn and live by this story. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are the one who grows the kingdom. And that while we can't always see how the kingdom is growing, you are the Lord and giver of life. And we pray that you would give us patient faithfulness as we want to see the kingdom come and your will be done in our own lives personally, as we want to see your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives corporately as a church. So Father, we pray that we would be able to, as we labor, as we wait patiently, that we would be able to see, um, see fruit, that we might be encouraged, fruit of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.